You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will be inspired to use their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and and thanks so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch. It's great to be back. Joining me in just a moment will be Pavlina Asta. And Pavlina is an award-winning celebrity radio show host, celebrity journalist, executive director, and producer of national podcasts in New York City. And I hope we have some Gen Z millennials listening this weekend because Pavlina is absolutely on a mission to help all of you. Uh, Before we get started, a quick mention about our watch team of on-air contributors. We currently have openings in both our Philly and New York market right now. So if you're interested in learning more about how you can be a part of the show, feel free to reach out to me at susan at womentowatch.net. And that's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And as always, uh, feel free to visit our website at womentowatch.net to sign up for our podcast and get our weekly and monthly newsletter and check out who's coming on the show next. So now I am so excited to welcome to the show again, Pavlina Asta, who happens to do a lot of things similar to me. So I'm going to be hoping to get some tips from her this weekend. Pavlina, welcome to the show. Hi, Sue. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you. Well, you know, I have been doing my homework on you and digging in and just getting more and more impressed um, by the more things I uncover that you have accomplished. And really, you know, if am I right? You're 23. I am 23. Yes. 
Okay. Sure. So that's a short period of time. And the listeners will get a good sense of it when we, we get into the interview. But um, I thought I would start off with a quote, because I think this really lays the groundwork for your beginning and where you came from. Um, you, you said that growing up as a steel drum street performer, ballet dancer, and radio host, I gained a business sense to make things happen and a mindset of determination. So I want to start there. And my very first question is, where did your interest in playing steel drums come from? And how did you convince your parents to let you perform on the beaches of Daytona Beach, Florida? Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Um, and thank you for reading that quote. That's that's great. So my elementary school actually offered a steel drum program for the fifth graders. And, you know, I grew up in Florida. Um, I, I don't think it's very common to have a steel drum program. I, you know, I haven't heard of it in any other elementary schools or anything like that. But I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I fell in love with the sound and I loved playing and I loved being a part of the band. Um, and then when I went to middle school, they didn't have a steel drum program, but I loved my double seconds, which are two big 30 pound drums. And, you know, I was a small little 10 year old. So it was, it was, you know, one of those things where, um, I just fell in love with the, the sound and, um, playing them. And my parents knew how much I loved practicing and I loved, you know, going on, um, and, you know, having the practice. So I asked them if I could have my own steel drums, um, which they looked up, you know, where we could buy some steel drums, like specifically, uh, double seconds. And, you know, my mom found a place in Stanford, um, Florida, which is a little close to Orlando and had Tommy Reynolds from the famous, 70s band Hamilton Joe Frank and Reynolds um, make my steel drums and then I had nowhere else to play them I was sort of like okay well I can play in my room I had a dance room at the time because I was also you know training to be a ballerina um, so I would play there and I was like you know the beach is a very appropriate place like I love the beach I love um, you know I thought the waves and you know the melodic sound of the steel drums was just it just worked, you know, and then that just sort of piqued an interest with a lot of people that would be walking by. They were like, oh, my gosh, I love this. I want you to play at my birthday party or, you know, my business. Um, I started playing at different water parks and there sort of, a, you know, became a bit of a buzz about this little kid playing steel drums. And I was just doing this thing that I love to do. I was just like, steel drums are are fun. Um I wanted to, you know, be really good at it and everything. And I play Little Mermaid, <laughs> classical Jamaican songs, like the works, you know, Red, Red Wine and all the <laughs> Don't Cry For Me Argentina, like all the good ones, you know. And so it was um, it was great. But I had they were big steel drums, like I said, you know, so I had to have my mom and my older <laughs> sister. They would help drag the steel right. drums out onto the beach and um, and I would play. But that's how it got started. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and you were 11, you were 11, right? I was 10 and then 11. Yeah. But it, it started when I was 10. So, yeah. yeah. So then actually that um, experience led to someone kind of discovering you. Am I right? Which is what led to the radio show? Yes. So that's, that's kind of how it happened. I started getting radio interviews because, you know, I was at water parks, I was at birthday parties and then you know, I guess a radio host was there, wanted to interview me. Um, and then I started getting on other radio shows because of that, because, you know, they would be listening and were like, what is this kid doing? 
And I was in the radio station one day because I would play, you know what I mean? I would answer their questions, but I would also play my steel drums for them. And one of the radio managers that was, you know, in the studio, I had come on a couple of times. I had played for them, you know, they were like, you should have your own show. And I was just like, I'm 11. I don't know what to talk about. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> How long do I have to do it for? Like, what is this? You know, so I thought it was just like the weirdest thing. But at the same time, I also knew that I loved being in the radio station. I thought it was I thought the boards on the buttons, um, you know, the buttons on the board were really cool. I thought, you know, the microphones and listening to the music and the headphones, like the whole process, the whole atmosphere was just very exciting. I love like a, a very lively radio station. You know, there's so much happening. And then I realized when I was talking to different callers because people would call into the show and be like, how did you get started playing steel drums? Or like, what's your favorite song? Like, I loved being able to talk with those people and, you know, tell them about my passions and all of this other stuff so when he offered that to me I was sort of like okay like this sounds like it could be interesting um again I had no idea what to talk about because because like what is there to talk about and so well also are you you were in school at this time I'm assuming yes I went to public school my entire life so I mean I was like so when were you yeah when were you doing it what time of day were you doing after school right after school if I didn't have dance because the show was pre-recorded so in the beginning it was pre-recorded and it would would play on Saturdays Saturday mornings at 11 (laughs) a.m that's when the show was and okay so it was great and like they um like I said I didn't know how to fill up the time so they were like what can you know, what can you do for that? You can do interviews. Interviews are a great way to fill the time. And I said, okay, perfect. Kevin Jonas from the Jonas Brothers came to my hometown and I snuck into a meet and greet. I did an interview with him and, you know, that was a whole thing on its own because- You snuck in? I snuck in. I literally, <laughs> you snuck in? Yes, I did. I mean, I my friend had a, um, what do you call it? A meet and greet pass and I did not. So I like went in the back. I had a little MP3 microphone recorder and I was just like okay I'm just gonna tell him that I have an interview and see what I can do you know I was just like this is great I like my friend and I like you know she told me all about the Jonas Brothers everything she knew I obviously knew a lot because they were huge when when we were 11 you know now they've had a whole comeback and they're they're amazing again but um I had my questions all written out on like a steno pad and I just like waited at the back of the line because I wanted everyone to get their their time and their photo or whatever and I didn't want to like interrupt that you know so I just told the manager that I had an interview and they gave me five minutes which was awesome I think they were just like there's this young girl that says she has an interview like I don't know what they were probably oh, they thought, <laughs> you yeah I mean? you're you're uh, you were probably incredibly impressive at that age to, and and confident to walk up to somebody who's kind of a big shot and have your microphone and ask your questions yeah, it was it was crazy when you think about it like I always look back and I'm like I can't believe I just like walked up to him but I ended up doing that a handful of times you know when I was at um, different radio networks or uh, conventions and stuff like that I would just go backstage and I one of them was Tom Brokaw I just like walked right up to him and he saw how I maneuvered my way back and how I got to him and he was like I watched you do that yeah I'll do an interview with you and I was like dope okay cool let's go you know what I mean so did you know who he was oh absolutely he was an idol at that you did okay when I interviewed him I was around 13 14 I think so I was already sort of getting into the whole radio process I was like you know doing my research on Walter Cronkite Tom Brokaw like I was I was doing Jessica Savage who has always been one of my favorites I was really mm. kind of getting into 
this world, you know? So I started with my, my first interview, like I said, Kevin Jonas, and then it just kind of, you know, snowballed from there. I interviewed a bunch of athletes, politicians, and the celebrity interviews became the, the purpose for the radio show. I was like, okay, well, let me talk to this person. Let's go over here. And then I would travel all over the state of Florida. I eventually, once the radio show became syndicated on iHeartRadio, after I interviewed the CEO of iHeart, he was like, your show should be syndicated. I was like, awesome. So we did that. And then um, I started going all over the country to do red carpets, to do uh, celebrity interviews. And it just, it just snowballed from there. But it all started with the with the steel drums <laughs> and, you know, me being in the radio station. So it's crazy. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Tell me, you're, I want to go back for a second. When you were playing the steel drums and you were doing that in different venues, was that a, a business at that point? Were you getting paid to do that? Yes. Um, yeah, which is really cool. I was like, okay, I'm 11. You know, I just turned 11 and I was like making some money, not like nothing crazy. Um, but I actually donated most of the money to animal shelters because that really meant a lot to me. I, I would go to different courthouses or I guess like court, you know, we would go to different places where I would advocate for, you know, spade and neutering animals. And we had a bunch of different trucks go around and do that for free for people. It was, you know, that was sort of my mission with the steel drums. I was like, okay, well, I might not need this money right now. Or, you know, I did save some of it. And then the rest I would, I would donate. Um, but yeah, I would get paid for the different venues. You know, I did a lot of charity events, um, you know, but any of the, the paid events, it was, it was cool because, you know, not a lot of 10 year olds, 11 year olds make start to make money that early. So it was it was a lot of right. fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, here's here's one of the things I want to know. And I think about you at that age and, and most of your friends or a lot of your friends, girls that age are spending a lot of their time on social media. Right. right? Looking around at what everybody's doing, saying, wearing. And, you know, that's a really um, pivotal time in a girl's young life where she's building her self-esteem and confidence. And you, I would say, were unusual in your, um, not only the desire to be out and about talking to all these people, but just that, that confidence to do that. Where did that develop in you? Were you born with that way or, or was it something that you feel your parents helped you um, develop. Absolutely. So I know that I was always very active, you know, from the earliest memories, I was doing Girl Scouts, gymnastics, dance, karate, and I always wanted to be the best. I always wanted to excel in everything that I did. Um, and I always had like this drive to do it. Uh, the confidence, I think definitely having my parents, especially my mom being so supportive in, everything that I wanted to do. It was like, okay, you want to do this? Let's see how we can make that happen. Okay. You want to, you know, go to dance. Let's, let's take you to dance classes. You know, if you want to do the, I actually started karate because my brother didn't want to go alone. So I would start to go to karate and then, (laughs) and then I became a third degree black belt. So it was like, okay, cool. You know what I mean? Like I just, I loved doing things. I loved being busy. I loved, um, getting out there and just having fun. Everything was so much fun, you know? And I liked, I didn't want to stay at home. I didn't want to like play with my dolls and stuff like that. I wanted to to learn new things and and explore and be adventurous and and meet new people. But I think having my yeah. parents really embrace that and support it in such a a helpful way just so, you know really believing in whatever it is that I want to do whether it was the gymnastics, karate, dance, girl scouts like they always, you know, helped me keep a schedule with it of course because what 10, 11 year old knows how to keep a schedule. 
Um, but like helping keep that or can drive, yeah. right? You couldn't drive yourself there. Exactly. <laughs> they had to get you there. Exactly. Yeah. E- even then it was just kind of like I had to get there and just having that support, I think gave me the confidence that I needed in order to do it. Yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, I think there's some situations where the parents are driving that and they're signing their kids up for a million right. things and the kids don't want to. And that wasn't the case for you. But was there ever a discussion about, you know, Pavlina, we need you to pick one thing and stick with it? <laughs> or were they just continuing to encourage trying, you know, a million different things? Right. And that you're absolutely right. There are so many kids that are sort of pushed by the parents to do things. And I never felt that in my case because I just loved to do all these different things. And the only time I had to choose one or like, you know, kind of, you know, okay, let's, let's see what we need to focus on is with gymnastics. Okay. I was moving up in the levels there and they wanted to take more time. Okay. Well, Pavlina, do you want to do dance or gymnastics? You don't have enough time in the day. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to pick the dance. So I had to pick dance. And then when it came to karate, all I wanted from that was to be a black belt. I ended up getting black belt with, you know, three degrees behind it. And I was like, okay, cool. I think I can let that one go. Um, and then the Girl Scouts, all I wanted to do with that, you know, besides you get so much leadership and so much confidence from Girl Scouts as well, that I wanted to get my gold award. Of course, you have to get your silver, your bronze, silver, and then your gold award. Um, and once I like reached certain levels, I was kind of like, okay, I can move on. I can focus on the radio show. I can focus on dance. So I was able to really um, focus on the things I really wanted to do the older I got because I was able to kind of hone in on it. I was like, okay, I'm kind of done with the karate, done with the the Girl Scouts, done with the gymnastics. These are the things that I really, really love to do. Yeah. And I could focus on those more. That's great. Listen, we're going to go into our first break and we'll be back with Pavlina Asta. She is, again, award-winning celebrity radio host, journalist, executive director, and producer. Stay with us for our watch team and we'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Some say that the eyes are the window to your soul. A routine eye exam is more than just checking for eyeglasses. When your pupils are dilated, the doctor shines a light on the back of your eye to look at blood vessels, the optic nerve, and other markers that can reveal issues like silent high blood pressure or early diabetes. The doctor also measures eye pressure to check for glaucoma. This morning on Your Radio Doctor, I spoke with two world-class ophthalmologists, Dr. Rob Lehman from Will's Eye Hospital and Dr. Leanne McGuire from the Mayo Clinic. Listen to the entire show on yourradiodoctor.net. The American Academy of Ophthalmology recommends a comprehensive eye exam every 5 to 10 years for people under age 40, every 2 to 4 years up to age 54, and more frequently with age. People at risk for glaucoma, such as African Americans and Hispanic patients, or family history of glaucoma, should be seen even more often. The leading causes of blindness in U.S. adults are age-related, macular degeneration, cataracts, diabetes and glaucoma. The macula, the central part of the retina that helps us see fine details. Macular degeneration damages sharp vision, making it hard to read or drive. With cataracts, the eye lens becomes cloudy with age. Risk increases with diabetes, excess alcohol, HIV, sunlight, trauma, smoking, and medications like prednisone. During microsurgery, the cloudy lens is removed and replaced by an implant or new lens. Best to do surgery in one eye at a time. 
Glaucoma results when the optic nerve is damaged by increased pressure. Two types. Open angle has a gradual change found on routine exam. The closed angle form is like a painful pink eye with vision loss, redness, and throbbing pain. Get to the ER stat. It needs treatment within 24 hours to prevent permanent blindness. LASIK surgery and cornea transplants have revolutionized treatment of cornea damage and preservation of eyesight. Wear protective goggles when you paint or use an instrument that sprays like a grinder. And don't light your own fireworks. Protect your gift of sight. I'll be watching you. Now the women to watch. Legal Watch. This is Nicole Hittner at Ballard Spar for your Legal Watch, reflecting today on how the pandemic has changed the practice of law and everyone that touches it. Courtrooms have been moved to the kitchens of lawyers and litigants by way of Zoom with sometimes hilarious results. Remember, I'm not a cat judge, and things have also changed in the transactional world. COVID-19 has had a dramatic impact on the way private equity deals are done. They used to start with fancy dinners with investment bankers featuring steak and wine and often a plane ticket to get there. Then came management presentations and hobnobbing with the executive team while touring facilities and kicking off due diligence. With travel restrictions and general unease about close proximity to other people, many private equity funds have gone to Zoom meetings and local videographers hired to walk through target facilities on behalf of the potential investors. As the COVID restrictions are starting to ease across the country, funds are asking themselves what lessons can be learned from the last year. One that keeps coming up is that mountains of money don't need to be spent jet-setting before the decision has been made to definitively pursue a target company. And the money saved can be used to increase purchase price in the bidding stage or to add management incentives to drive performance post-closing. As we're hopefully nearing the end of the global crisis, smart people are looking to make sure the lessons learned aren't lost. Money allocation that gets you the deal over the other bidders scrambling against you is one pretty important one. Our private equity team at Ballard Spark can help you work through other strategies that are born of lessons from the last year, too. This is Nicole Hittner for your Legal Watch on Women to Watch. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Welcome back. I'm having a really enjoyable conversation with Pavlina Asta this weekend. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoy hearing about your younger years. And really, it seems to me that, that your ability to um, be doing so many things at a young age had a lot to do with your energy level. And I would say it's probably, you know, both that, that mental... Um, ability, but also the, the physical energy that you have. And I want to kind of find out how you went from um, those younger years doing the radio and also the activities, you know, the dance and and how your schooling played into that. So, you know, um, first of all, did you go to college? I did. I actually, okay. so school, I'm very thankful. Um, school was always pretty easy for me. I, you know, was tested to be in the gifted program pretty early on uh, in elementary and middle school. In high school, I was in the International Baccalaureate, the IB program. And then in college, um, I graduated in three years. So school was always on the back burner in a way because I never really cared about it. But I was always, I, it still was a priority uh, to my parents. For me, I went to public school my entire life. Um, and yeah, so it was, it, it was always there. I was, I was very tempted to be homeschooled though. <laughs> that was definitely yeah, a, uh, a thought, you know? Yeah. So tell me your, your days are really filled, uh, f- excuse me, filled with so many different aspects 
of media, whether you're interviewing someone, writing, producing, um, working on your brand partnerships. I wanted to ask you what you're doing when you feel most alive. Definitely when I'm doing the interviews, I love, I'm a very curious person. I like to ask a lot of questions. I like to learn about people's stories and how they can help and improve other people's lives. Uh, I've sort of, so the radio show that I started when I was 11, I had that until I was about 18, 19. And then when I was in college, I was mostly doing all of the producing. That's when I climbed my way up the corporate ladder, all of that stuff. And then more recently, when I started my podcast, when I wrote my book, I have been very into motivating and wellness and, you know, whatever makes people feel good, because I sort of noticed a, a struggle that millennials and Gen Z's have been going through. And I wanted to be able to communicate with them. And, you know, I'm like, hey, I hear you. Like, let me talk to the experts and and help you guys. And let me talk to these people and, you know, guide you in these kind of ways, um, whether it's mm -hmm. like, oh, like learn about meditation, learn about, uh, you know, whatever depression, anxiety that you're dealing with, I have the not only ability, but also the knowledge to interview the experts, get that knowledge to you guys and and help them. So I think I feel the most alive when I'm when I'm doing the interviews, when I'm traveling and meeting new people and helping my audience with whatever it is that they're going through. Right. I, I know that you're really focused on helping, you know, what we refer to as Gen Z millennials, basically right. young people, you know, in their 20s, uh, maybe a little bit younger. And, you know, you said once millennials are, you believe, one of the strongest generations for their impact on the world and, and their desire to make a difference. Talk to me about that a little bit. How are they one of the strongest generations and why do you think they are? Millennials are and so are Gen Zs, and Gen Zs even more so than millennials in a lot of ways. They are extremely passionate about change, about equality, about uh, what is right, and they are extremely proactive in making it right. They want um, fairness in a lot of different ways, and they'll do whatever they have to do, whether you know we agree with it or not, <laughs> to to do that and to you know have everyone, um, whether it, it's everything that they've done with Black Lives Matter or. Uh, you know, equality. And, you know, even when they, they cancel people, they still are, they're trying to, to make the world a better place in some way. Um, and I know that is kind of hard to understand, but they are extremely into activism and politics, and they want to make a change. And that is something I think a lot of generations have wanted to do and, and have done. Um, but with millennials and Gen Z's, they seem to put their whole lives into it. You know, it's, it's like everything uh, they, that's, they encompass it completely. So that's why um, I talk about millennials and Gen Zs a lot. We, you know, I go into it in such depth because uh, they're a fascinating study. Right. You know, and I think one of the tough things for that, and I'll say, you you know, it is your generation and younger. Um, there's so many um, there's so much smoke and mirrors in social media and Absolutely. on the internet, right? And I think if you're young and you're still trying to find your way, you see this and um, you can't help but compare and, and perhaps think less of yourself. Do you think young people are now waking up to this fact? Because, you know, we're having conversations about it. We're pointing it out that so much of it is not real, what they're, what they're seeing on social media. Well, one thing I'm extremely thankful for when I was growing up is I really didn't have social media. And I think that was 
extremely helpful in mm. everything that I have done because I wasn't right. comparing myself to other people. I wasn't, you know, looking at what everyone else was doing and thinking I had less or, or whatever. The I feel so bad <laughs> for these generations and these kids that are, you know, growing up with social media because you're right. It's, it's like a cancer in some ways because um, it can really poison uh, a young person's mind as far as their perception and, and where they need to be and to not embrace the journey as they should. Um, and, you know, we, we see a lot of depression, anxiety, stress with these younger kids because they need it. They want to be like, you know, so-and-so celebrity. They want to be like this person or they want to have this. And they, the problem with social media is you don't see all of the, the background work. You don't see all of the things that you know, they're not posting about all of the, the maybe the bad days, the, the hustle or whatever it may be. And it, social media and people on social media are definitely getting better at exposing that. You know, they're better. They're getting we all know that social media is the highlights. It's not it's not, you know, when you're when you're grinding or when you're working on stuff, it's it's the fluffy stuff. It's all the, the pretty things in life. And I think people are starting to to mention that more, you know, um, there we know about the filters, we know about the Photoshop, all of that kind of thing. But it's young people like young girls in particular are so affected by this that maybe they don't understand that, you know, that picture is edited to a crazy degree to where it's like, OK, well, that's not a, a realistic body type or, you know, success doesn't happen overnight or you don't make a million dollars by, you know, sitting on your your hands and and having a makeup line you know what I mean like there's so yes, much work yes. that goes into into yourself into your business into your career and social media is a mask for a lot of that and they it's hard for them to decipher what what is real what is not real how to not compare yourself social media is dangerous um in a lot of ways I think it can be yes. extremely helpful and beautiful in connecting people that I love that that piece of it but it also has has a dark side to it. I think you're so right. And I appreciate you saying that and sharing that. So in light of that, I would say a lot of young girls look at you. Um, you're, you're very much out there in the public eye. They're looking at your Instagram. They're looking at your website. And it is very impressive. So what can you share with, with the young women that might be listening that is, you know, um, transparent, and that's been hard for you. How do you manage your own anxiety? Because some days, you know, com go completely awry. What is hard for you? What is something you have to work on personally? Totally. So I, okay, I had a very rough time in college. I had some friends that were kind of toxic and really brought me down and did not, you know, growing up, I really didn't have a lot of support from my peers, which is why I looked towards older adults and older people because they actually admired what I was doing. Um, so I've always had an issue or just kind of a struggle with kids my own age because they never understood what I was doing. In college, it was that's when I started to ha experience a lot of depression and anxiety. Um, when I came out of college and started the podcast, wrote my book, and really started to get into wellness a huge reason why I wanted to start doing that and start talking about these issues and helping my audience. Cause I, not only did I see a, a value in it and a need for it, but I was struggling with it myself. I struggle with anxiety all the time. I struggle with depression. I struggle with, you know, compute, like I'm, 
are you, am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right path? Like I am, you know, with comparing myself with, you know, body issues, whatever it may be. Um, and quite honestly, I think a lot of my issues have come from social media, <laughs> which is why I'm very, um, outspoken about how I feel about social media and, and the problems that it can cause. So every issue that I have talked about on my podcast, I know that it can relate to, you know, someone can relate to it because they're issues I've dealt with myself um, or they're issues I'm currently dealing with, or, you know, I've, I've experienced it in some way, whether I was, when it was in high school or whether it was in college or uh, just overall, you know, am I doing the right thing? The uncertainty is, is always there. So not comparing yourself to other people and realizing that you're on your own path, that you are doing your own thing, that if you love what you're doing, you're already on the right path and that everything will work out and everything's going to be okay. Just, and being patient, being patient. I'm not patient. So that I think, you know, (laughs) definitely does not help me. You know, I'm, I'm patient in a lot of things, but sometimes I'm like, why did this not work out? Why did that not happen? And it can be very easy to fall into that. And it can also be very easy to spiral into, you know, depressive episodes, spiral into the negativity, the victim mindset, all of that kind of stuff. And I know how to pull myself out of it at this point um, and change my mindset, change what I'm thinking, do some breathing, all of that. And that's why I, that's what I try to help with my audience. And that's what I try to teach them. That's what I try to, to be there for them because I know the struggle and I know how difficult it is. I know how hard it can be to go through something alone and not have people understand you not understand well what's the problem you're fine you're good you know what I mean and it's just like no I'm not Mm. fine I feel this way and I don't know why and like I think so many people and I'm very happy that you know we're talking about mental health more I'm really happy that it's becoming um okay to talk about it because I a lot of people don't understand why am I feeling this way and it's more of it's I like to go deeper than just, okay, it's a mental health thing. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not just that it's, well, it's learning about yourself. It's like, okay, well, what causes that? Why, why does this, why do I think that way? And then how do we fix it? Because I'm a problem solver. You know what I mean? I do not like having problems. We need to create solutions, (laughs) you know? So I like to, (laughs) I like to have ways of, of fixing things and, or at least, mending them in some way, um, you know, easing the pain, whatever it may be. So that's, those are some things that I've dealt with, but everything I talk about, whether it's in my book, whether it's on my podcast, whoever I'm interviewing, it's probably because I'm going through something and I want to get an expert's help or advice, or, uh, I want to get someone else's opinion. And, you know, I know someone out there or definitely people in my audience, whether they DM me, email me, whatever, they're going through it as well. And I'm like, well, I was just experiencing some anxiety. Let me talk to an anxiety expert and see what we can work out, see what we can fix, see what we can do to to help it. Yeah. One of the things I think about a lot when I when I think about how much everyone has anxiety. And mm-hmm. I sometimes look at our culture as a culture of um, the messaging is we have to always be doing, doing, right. doing, 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 rather than just being there's well, never time to on just be social media it's like everyone is traveling they're at cool resorts they're doing this they're in like it's there's I was actually just talking about this with my little sister <laughs> and I was like Fiona some of the most boring or some of the most best like some of the best moments some of the 
the times that you learn the most about yourself are in those boring moments when you're not doing anything, when there's nothing going Correct. on, when you're like, oh my gosh, yes. what am I doing? Like, you know, when you're in that confused state and you're, or maybe you're just bored, some magical things really happen in that stage. And I think that's beautiful, except we don't let our, we don't let ourselves stop. We don't let ourselves slow down. We don't let ourselves just take a moment to breathe or take a few months to, to relax after college. You know, you just did this whole thing. Like, I am the worst at relaxing. I'm really not good at doing it, nor do I really like to do it. I like to be busy. I like to keep going, do, 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 do. And when I'm not doing stuff, when I'm bored, when I, um, I feel like that's when I feel like I'm not doing enough, when I'm not, um, I'm not, uh, maybe I'm stagnating. Being productive. Yeah, yeah, being productive, all of that. But I'm yeah. learning to to be okay with that and to kind of embrace it because not only is that a part of life, but it's healthy and it's it's okay <laughs> to to rest and to chill. And that's when I've come up with a lot of my best ideas is in those, you know, more chill moments. Um, and I hope I hope a lot of younger people learn to embrace those moments as well. Yeah, I think you know, I I would argue that. Th- our, our grandest ideas only come from those moments of quiet. You can't, yes. you're not, you know, you're not tapped into your, um, yourself who's outside of the mind really, right. unless you're, you're in a quiet space. Right. So it's interesting to me that you recognize that in yourself, it's okay to be high energy and, um, but you're, and it, and I would say also, if, if you're happy in the busy, I say this all the time, be busy. But right. if, when you start to feel not good with that, then you're, then you need to step, take a step back. And that take comes back, from don't, And that's listening. the biggest thing is just pause. You can hit pause yeah. without quitting. There's a huge difference right. with, you know, this isn't working out. I'm never going to get it. I'm not going to, I'm not good enough, whatever. And you quit. No, no, no. Just pause. Don't let yourself burn out, you know, pause. Mm-hmm. And then pick yeah. up again. It's going to be okay, baby. Like it's all good. But you know, yeah. so I think I think that's where you're absolutely right. And um, those quiet moments is usually that's when our minds are are calm and we're in our really authentic selves. Because when yeah. we're in that busy, I'm happy in the busy. I love the busy, but I can't think yeah. straight when I'm in the busy. Like my brain right. is not fully functioning. So when right. I when yeah. I sit down, I've really started meditating recently which helps a lot. I didn't do it this morning. I try to do it every morning. It's hard. Um, but when I meditate <laughs> and it, like the rest of the day is so much better. It's like, not yeah. only am I calmer, but I can think clearly. And that's where you really get, that's when you're really productive. That's when you can really get some stuff done. hundred um, percent. Listen, we're going to go into our next break. When we come back, I want to talk about your podcast and your book. Okay. Stay with us for our watch team, and I'll be back with Pavlina Asta. Now, the women to watch, Military Watch. I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. Three million women have served in or with the U.S. Armed Forces, and the Military Women's Memorial wants to capture every story for future generations. As the largest repository documenting women's military service, the memorial recently launched an easy and free way for you to take part in this fantastic endeavor. Through a recently launched digital platform, 
service women and women veterans can upload their service history to the memorials repository from the comfort of their homes. Family and friends can also contribute on behalf of their women veteran loved ones. Whether you're a woman veteran or know a woman veteran, we encourage you to help the memorial achieve its goal of registering 100,000 service women's stories by the end of this year. So head to thewomensmemorial.org and click on the Make Her Story. I promised last week that I would tell you about the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor. Dr. Mary Edwards Walker was an Army surgeon during the Civil War. Dr. Walker is also the only woman ever awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. She struggled to get the, into the Army and worked at first as a contract surgeon. Dr. Walker was finally appointed assistant surgeon of the 52nd Ohio Infantry. She continually crossed Confederate lines to treat civilians. She had to fight rumors that she was not a Union spy, but in fact a qualified doctor. Dr. Walker was taken prisoner in 1864 by Confederate troops and was imprisoned in Richmond for four months until she was part of a prisoner exchange. After the war, President Andrew Johnson awarded her the Congressional Medal of Honor, which she wore for the rest of her life. But what the history books don't often speak of is that the War Department, starting in 1916, reviewed all previous Medal of Honor awards and many found their medals revoked in that reform. Wearing the medal, if unearned, became a crime. The Army demanded that Walker return her medal. She refused and wore hers until her death at the age of 87 in 1919. In the late 1960s, Anne Walker launched an intensive lobbying campaign to restore her aunt's medal. A November 25, 1974 letter from the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee read, in part, it's clear your great-grand-aunt was not only courageous during the term she served in the Union Army, but also as an outspoken proponent of feminine rights. Both as a doctor and a feminist, she was much ahead of her time, and as is usual, she was not regarded kindly by many of her contemporaries. Today, she appears prophetic. President Jimmy Carter restored Mary Walker's Medal of Honor on June 11, 1977. Today, it's on display in the Pentagon's Women's Corridor. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Now, the women to watch, PR Watch. Hi, everybody. I'm Mindy 
Barnett, founder and CEO of public relations firm MB and Associates based in Philadelphia and in New York. And today I'm going to share with you a little bit about how to use owned content to propel your brand through social media and other company platforms that you have. You know, social media isn't just for taking photos of your kids and talking about life plans. We all know many businesses that are intelligent use it for business purposes. Um, it can be used in numerous ways to grow your brand. Let's just focus on Facebook for just a minute, shall we? Facebook obviously is a place to show what's going on in your life, but a Facebook account can be a business related situation where you can create and control the, the essentially the algorithms that are associated with it. It's essentially free unless you're going to hire someone to manage your page for you. We actually do do that for some of our clientele, but a lot of them also do it themselves. Um, so I'm going to give you some DIY things that you can basically put in your war chest and use um, at your disposal. You can use PR um, for Facebook, certainly. You can also advertise where you're boosting your post on Facebook, where you're paying for it to essentially get to a larger audience than simply just people that like your page or follow you. Um, it appears higher in a newsfeed when it's boosted, and there's a better chance because of that, that your audience will see it. You can also expose audience just, as I said, beyond your fans or, or beyond your people who follow you because you can boost it and then uh, basically pick out, um, you know, geographical locations or opportunities that geared towards certain age range or neighborhoods and things of that nature. The best way to promote your business is to always incorporate PR and advertising into your marketing strategy. That is my breakdown for social media 411 in my two minute mark. Thank you so much. And if you want more, you can follow me at mbandassociatespr.com. Thank you. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Welcome back to Women to Watch. If you are just tuning in and you missed the first hour, I was speaking with Pavlina Asta, an award-winning celebrity radio show host, celebrity journalist, executive director, and producer of national podcasts in New York City. And um, she has her own podcast. She has written a book, which we're going to talk about. Um, she's only 23. You're only 23. And I want to point that out because, you know, we have a lot of women on this show that have had full careers, you know, 20, 30 years, and we're asking for advice and, you know, those aha moments. And you've covered so much ground in a short period of time. Um I just think it's it's so impressive. So the Thank first you. thing I wanted to dive into this segment is is your new podcast. What a great, cool title. If God had a podcast, tell me um, where that inspiration came from and, and what people can expect when they tune in. Definitely. So if God had a podcast, I was basically thinking, 
and I'm sort of going to do a shift. So get ready, guys. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but um, the podcast right now, I talk with um, Buddhists, meditation leader, you know, uh, mindset leaders. I am really into wellness and positivity and changing your mindset from, uh, you know, being in a lacking mindset to an abundant mindset to, you know, just really embracing all of the the good things in life and and realizing those if you're struggling with different things i talk with experts on anxiety depression um uh, you know we we go over uh you know breathing exercises just all of the things to the imposter syndrome is a big one i've talked to a bunch of different people on the imposter syndrome i've struggled with it it's a common thing that a lot of women struggle with uh so i i try to cover that quite a bit but if God had a podcast, the you know, the reason I started it was, well, and I'm, I'm pretty spiritual, you know, religious, spiritual, whatever you want to call it. And I was sort of like, okay, well, if God did have a podcast, what would he want to talk about? You know, what would he want to, to fix and cure within society? And like I said earlier, I, I really think that there is um, struggles that young people have, whether it's depression, anxiety, they're uh, comparing themselves. And I try to break that down for the listener so that they really have a deeper understanding of what maybe what they're thinking or how to change their mindset or what, you know, this is what they're experiencing. Okay, well, it's probably the imposter syndrome. And then this is how we can fix it. So that's really what the, the podcast is, is all about. Can you talk about, Pavlina, what, it, what are your beliefs, your own beliefs? You know, if, if you say you're spiritual, um, is there a religion you you belong to or do you just have your own personal uh, views of the world and, and values? Absolutely. Well, I grew up Lutheran. I went to a private Christian college, so I believe in God, um, but I am not really into the like Lutheran church. I, I know everything. Um, I do believe that, you know, in a higher power, but I also am very spiritual and just that I think everything, you know, happens for a reason. I think, uh, that, well, I don't know. I call it God. I call it the universe. And that's why I sort of say spiritual because I'm kind Mm -hmm. of like, I, there are certain things that, I do believe, um, you know, with, with Christianity, but there are other things that I'm like, okay, well, I don't know. I make it into my own, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I sort of make which it is into my great. Own. Yes, yes. Yes. So that's, that's really where, where I'm at with it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the book, the book Absolutely. that you wrote. Yeah. For 20 somethings. Um, Tell, tell uh, the 20 things about- every motivated 20 something should know. <laughs> yes. There you go. <laughs> Why did you decide to write it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Well, I was at a young entrepreneur conference and I was approached by a publisher and he was like, you should write a book. And when I was sort of coming up with topics, I was like, okay, well, what do I know? (laughs) What do I, what could I write a book on basically? And what I was thinking when I was in this brainstorming period, I was like, well, I really had to figure out everything on my own. You know, I had my mom who would drive me to my interviews to the radio station until I got my own car. Um, But I didn't really have a blueprint. I didn't have a lot of mentors. I just, I just did my own thing. And with the book, I was like, okay, I want to teach young people who are motivated, (laughs) which is why 20 things, every motivated 20 something should know. Um, 
all of the different struggles that I had, whether it was being brave, you know, overcoming negativity, understanding the fact that you're going to fail in your career in different life events, um, understanding that your age is not does not mean anything because you know whether you're you're 12 years old or 50 years old, you can still go out and start that business. You can still go out and and do whatever it is that you want to do, um, and making it happen. I, I I get really annoyed when people just like talk about things. Oh yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No, go do it. <laughs> Write out a plan and go execute it. You know, go go do that thing. So when I was writing the book, I was like, okay, what are issues that young people deal with? What do I know? I know that I didn't have a blueprint. I didn't have anyone that helped me with this stuff. So let me help them with all the things that I learned. And I interviewed over 600 major celebrities. They gave me so much advice. So mm, like they gave yeah. me so much advice. Like they, I, I learned so much like because like who I am today is a big, a big portion of that is because of the interviews and spending so much time with these people and learning from them and all of that. So I really incorporated a lot of the the quotes from interviews or from things they said to me off ca- you know off camera, uh, just advice that they would give me. I incorporated a lot of that into the book as well. So it's it's a lot of um, you know overcoming obstacles, good habits for success because there's you know uh, I like to I like habits I like efficiency and a plan. And I really break that down in the book. Um, I even go over debt and, you know, what to do with that. Uh, because so many millennials and Gen Z's are just like swamped (laughs) in college debt. So I go over that. It's just, I really try to have a full guide for young people that, you know, want to go out there and do it and, you know, don't expect to have the world handed to them on a silver platter. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to read this book and it's going to guide me to where I need to go. Yeah, I'm going to. So that leads me to my next question, because, you know, your business is you, you know, you you really (laughs) are the business. So I'm curious what, first of all, do you have a team who's helping you manage all of this? And what is the revenue model for what you do? If you know, how, how do you make money? Absolutely. So I, okay, I do have a team. I have my agent and his whole team. I have a bunch of freelancers that I work with as far as, you know, graphics or photographers, editors, that kind of thing. And I have, you know, the day job, which is producing a national radio show for the company I work for. Plus I started the digital media uh, department within that company. So I'm an executive director and producer over there. And then I do a lot of social media influencer stuff. I get paid for uh, to post about different products or uh, collaborations with different people. Um, plus, my podcast brings in money. The books brings in money, um, and then I do some side hustles here and there. But that's the that's usually the bulk of it. And the, when you're working for um, as a producer for a media company, is that a full time job? Is that something you you know you have to be doing going and doing every day? It is a full-time job. Um, I actually, I do love the the job though, just because it really only takes up my morning. Um, I have an extremely efficient way of doing it to where, you know, we, we work on the radio show itself and any post-production work that I have to do for it, I can get it done pretty quick. One, because I'm very fast at editing at this point. And two, um, yeah. I am just very efficient with, you know, with my time. I, I tend to do a lot of the video edits um, because I'm the video producer as well for that show. So 
the only real post-production stuff besides, um, you know, on the show is, is editing videos. So I'm able to do a lot of that during the show. Um, and plus we have other team members on the show as well. So it really just takes up my, my mornings. Um, so yeah, I get to work on, on my stuff the, the rest of the day. Yeah. You sounds like you're a really good uh, time manager. <laughs> yes, I had to. Right? Be, I had to learn to be like very early on. So, uh, especially you know, going to school full time, working full time. Like the moment I moved up to New York, I you have to be good at time management. You have to like figure out how to fit everything into the day, also be productive, and get your errands and your self care stuff done. So many things. So you got to be good at time, yes. time management. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you've um, landed interviews with a lot of notable people. And yeah. how do you get how do you get those interviews? Because, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing too every week. And I've had some notable guests, but I do have a bucket list of some women that I really want to be on the show. Um, what has been your tactic for getting such big name people to give you the totally. time? Yeah. So, um, I would email them. I would, you know, whether it was email, it depended on who the person was, to be quite honest. If it was, uh, an artist, a, like a musician, if it was an author, a politician, a sports person, whoever it was, there was different ways of getting to them. I interviewed Shaquille O'Neal, who's an athlete, but he wrote a book. I went to Barnes and Noble, um, by, you know, I contacted his publisher, whether it's a record label that you can contact, a publisher that you can contact, an agent that you can contact, it's all research. And then yeah. as far as like the, the media request and sending that out, you know, whether they're interested or not, that's, you know, based on the show, et cetera. But I, I think after a while, especially once you have a, a really strong roster, a lot of other people follow. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, they clearly have a big audience. Other celebrities have done this. And it's, it's a lot easier to get celebrities once you have, um, you know, a, a Rolodex of people sort of already in the back, you know, and, and yes, you know, you have yes. a, a list kind of going, but it definitely does get easier. I think in the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, do you want to do an interview with a kid? It might have been cool for them. You know, they might have thought like, oh, okay, cool. Sure, I'll do an interview with the kid. But when they realized that it was, especially by the time I got 16, they were a little bit more in depth with the interviews and I, you know, I really cared about each interview. They could tell that there was something more than just, you know, some young kid doing interviews. And now, um, yeah, so like I said, it's just about doing the research and then and then sending out a media request. Yeah, I know there's so many different ways to get to people. Um, the, it, more gate, really the more gatekeepers they have, I always say, the harder. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, um, I mean, there's yeah. some people that I... I could try to get to, but it would be hard. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I actually enjoy that process. You know, try you know yeah. working, and when you land them, it's it's just such a great, um, it's a great it's feeling. Very fun, and it's, it's yeah. very exciting. You know, and I yeah. think something that really helped me was I loved traveling to the interviews. I almost, I would say, ninety percent of my interviews were on location. I would go to the the venue, I would go to the bookstore, I'd go to the the race car track, whatever, wherever I was, the red carpet. Right. Um, and I would interview them on the spot so that not only could I get video of it, but I could also meet them. And, you know, I, I found different ways of putting myself in that place. So that, that also really, really helped. Yeah. Great. Listen, we're going to go into our last break and I will be back with Pavlina Asta. Stay with us for our watch team. Now the women to watch tech watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. 
The last couple of weeks, my segments have been about the lack of women in the technology industry and why it matters and what are some of the steps to closing the gap. To recap, when men and women work together, their complementary traits create innovation in the workplace. And although more companies are including women in their technology roadmap, the percentages of women earning computer science degrees keeps decreasing. To break the cycle, we have to address the issue top-down and bottom-up together. Last week, I spoke about the top-down. This week, I'll talk about the bottom-up. A psychologist friend told me, because boys and girls are wired differently, boys will naturally excel in technology education. That answer bothered me. I didn't like it, and I refused to believe it. So off I went to do some research. My daughter, who works in the educational system K-12, through provided me with information that gave me hope. Through 21st century learning, the approach to the information age is revolutionizing the way boys and girls learn starting in preschool through 12th grade. The focus is on the skills necessary to succeed in future jobs. When 21st century learning was being formed, business leaders were asked what skills the future employee would need. The response was employees will need to think critically and creatively, collaborate with others, solve problems, lead, and make decisions. Therefore, 21st century core focus is on learning, literacy, and life. Now add STEM learning to 21st century learning. STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. Across the country, elementary schools are incorporating computer science and STEM learning at the preschool age and up without any gender bias. The way students are being taught at a very early age is much different than the way we were taught and takes the future of work into consideration and eliminates gender bias. As example, the new new math, it's taught in such a way that it doesn't matter how a boy or girl is wired. This is music to my ears and is one of the ways I believe the top down and bottom up approach will shorten the gender gap and bring more women into the technology industry. What are your thoughts? Email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Hi, I'm Lynn Falconio for Women to Watch Marketing Watch. Last week, I shared my thoughts on how engagement makes systems around us function. It creates more productive workplaces, strong civic engagement, and better academic outcomes. At Publicis Health, we believe in the same way it takes more than a ballot or a book to have a strong democracy or a good education. It takes more than medicine to improve outcomes in healthcare. Today, I'd like to dive deeper on the role of empathy and engagement in my industry, healthcare. At Publicis Health, we say engagement is medicine because better health outcomes are the result of people that have the information, motivation, and tools they need to take control of their health. Sounds simple, but it's not. Even with the rise of wellness culture in our society, many people aren't engaged with their health until they're already sick. And even when they actively need to engage, people are at a loss for where to start. They often
don't have to filter through misinformation, understand an abundance of scientific jargon, and find their way in a labyrinth healthcare system that's confounding even to the experienced. All this can leave people feeling disengaged, disempowered, and unmotivated. That's where healthcare marketing and communication plays an essential role in the system because it helps people navigate it. We hold the data and insights to unlock what it takes to understand and empathize with patients and doctors. And we are leaders of the change, bringing new technologies, connecting platforms, and creating experiences to bring healthcare into the lives of our audiences seamlessly, conveniently, and personally. As the pandemic brings health and wellness to the forefront of society and is the lens through which consumers make more decisions, there is much to learn from our industry to connect empathy to engagement to opportunities that build a healthier world. Until next week, I'm Lynn Falconio for Marketing Watch. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm really enjoying this interview with Pavlina Asta. Um, I would be remiss, Pavlina, if I didn't ask you what some of your favorite questions are to ask your guests. Oh, my gosh. What a great question. I mean, I guess it depends on the person, but something I always asked growing up, uh, my go-to question was what obstacles did you have and how did you overcome them? I always liked to know whoever I was interviewing, their obstacles and how they got past it. You know, I wanted to to hear that journey and that story. Um, and I always thought it was a very powerful question. So I, I always asked it. Uh, but I guess now I, I tend to like to go a little bit, you know, it depends on who I'm talking to, I guess. But it, like I said, I tend to go deeper. I'm not as into any kind of like fluffy questions as much anymore but um but that's probably my all-time favorite question just because there's so much that you can really pack into it yeah and and you know you know this show especially i'm always looking to do that you know the real story behind the title is to always have our listeners understand that my guest whether they've reached a very high level of success um how they manage to continue to move forward in spite of different challenges. Absolutely. And, you know, that brings me to my question for you. Again, at 23, you're talking to other um, young people, men, uh, boys, girls, men, women, right? What do you think their greatest concern is today? Th- you know, that's a big question because we're dealing still with the pandemic. Um but when you think of the number one concern they have, what do you think that is for them as a generation? There are so many things. Um, <laughs> I would, you know, I know a lot of millennials and Gen Zs that struggle, like I said before, with student debt, with not being able to get jobs out of college. Um, they struggle with a lot of mental illnesses, uh, whether it's depression, anxiety, um, there's there's so many things that I think they're they're stressed about and that they're they're worried about. I think the future feels very rocky and uncertain to them um, because of politics. I think you know, well, politics, but also just like COVID has has rocked our world in so many ways. It has taken kids out of school. It's you know my 
I know so many people that, you know, it was their senior year of, of college or high school and they didn't get to have that, you know, those experiences. So that really bothers them or they were just joining, joining the workforce, but now, now they can't find a job or, you know, I feel like they are missing out on so many different opportunities, first of all, but also experiences, you know, like uh, going into your first job, meeting all those new people. Now, you're, now we're doing everything remote. Um, the world is just changing in so many ways that I feel like they don't feel like they have control over a lot of things. And that makes them obviously nervous, maybe have anxiety. And there's always a social pressure to to be the best and do everything, etc. Um, but I think those are a few things that, you know, younger generations are struggling with. Do you see yourself um, kind of being pulled to get into the health and wellness arena? Or do you think that you'll always use your role uh as a radio host or podcast host, as an interviewer, to be helpful with that? Do you see yourself always staying in media? Oh, absolutely. I am like a media 100%. Like, I think it's more of, uh, because when I was in college, I was, you know, doing a lot of political radio shows, a lot of uh, news talk TV. And I was kind of like, sort of going towards the, the news anchor side of things. And I was realizing that that I don't think that's my, my forte, you know what I mean? Like, yes, would I be good mm-hmm. at it? Yes, I know that. Would I like it? Of course, you know, but I ultimately think that the news is very negative. Um, and it's so polarized these days that I really don't want to have to uh, express my views with things. I don't want to have to, it just is so messy that it's not, yeah. and it's mostly the negativity that gets to me. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news for everyone. I've always, Oprah has obviously, I mean, who else, has always been my role model. She's always been the person that I've admired just so much that I was, um, and she helps people. She makes people happy. She makes people feel good. And she's in media. She does interviews. She, You know what I mean? So that, she's always been my role model. And I feel like in college, I sort of, you know, straight from that, just because I was already, I was working, you know, getting producing, et cetera, for all these different political shows. And then I was realizing that this is not my thing. This is, it's a little bit too negative for me. It's not happy and feel good, you know? So that's yeah, the reason why right. I've been getting more into like the health and wellness side of things. Um, because I, I want people to feel good. I want people to be happy. I want people to understand themselves and learn more about themselves and, um, and and feel good. So that's that's the reason I've been going more onto the you know the wellness side thing of things that in media just because I eventually want to have a talk show like on TV or Netflix or wherever you know streaming is changing everything as you know. So it's uh, the you know the platforms are changing, but that's still ultimately 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 my goal, and it always has been. So I don't think a whole lot has changed. Um, in that sense, but definitely staying in media. I really, I can't, I can't really see myself anywhere else. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I, just, I that's love great, I right? Love you know, I love TV. Yeah. Yeah. When you know what you love and, and you're good at it, that's really the ultimate, isn't it? And, you know, it reporting news is just, is just putting information out there that you're given, but right. what you're, what you're doing is allowing you to bring your own self to, um, the people that are, that are paying attention. And that's what means the most to me. If I can think for myself, because I don't think enough people think these days, like really deep thinking, (laughs) I like to Mm. think, I like to give people my opinion and I couldn't 
be handed a script and just regurgitate that. So that's another big reason. Um, and yeah, so I, I absolutely agree with you with that. So you live in New York. How have you been managing the pandemic, which was hit, you know, a lot worse than other cities? Um, And do you, you know, from your own experience and being ingrained there, do you see the city starting to come back and come alive again? Absolutely. So I was I was in New York City the entire time, (laughs) the whole 2020 pandemic. Ninety percent of my people, my friends, coworkers, et cetera, they left, they went on remote, they moved back with their parents, whatever, you know, they did. I was in New York the entire time. So I literally saw my city, you know, that was thriving one day become a ghost town the next day. And that is terrifying for New York, you know, because it's there's a buzz, there's this bustling energy. And for that to just be sucked out of it so quickly, especially when you love your city so much. And, you know, New Yorkers are, are different people. Like we, I don't know what, is wrong with us but it's (laughs) New Yorkers are crazy like there's something about someone that like has to live in New York you know what I mean because there's so many things wrong with the city that for you to love it it's like you have to be like somewhat crazy I think um in some ways I think it is the busy I think you know it's a busy busy city and people who enjoy busy love it there right because of that energy just excites you it's like oh my gosh okay like let's like freaking conquer the day like let's just go and endless opportunities um, I remember in the midst of COVID, uh, gosh, like what summer, I guess I would go to Times Square, which is a sin for most uh, New Yorkers. It's like, why would you ever go to Times Square? Like that, that sounds horrible. <laughs> but right. I was like, I, I could just walk around in the middle of the street and there was no one there. It was an absolute go. It, it felt very apocalyptic, honestly, which is also terrifying. Um, so I really saw the city and I the whole time, all of 2020, I was very you know, I'm standing by my city, nothing can take us down, like, we will rebuild, it will be fine. Um, and it just, I'm, I'm kind of exhausted at this point, to be quite frank with you, you know, it's very, it's hard to keep it to keep it going, especially when, you know, the, the leadership in New York is a little bit all over the place. And they're kind of messy mm. with, with everything that's going yeah. on. But um, you know, the outdoor dining didn't make any sense. It's just like so the logistics, it was just difficult. Um, I I hope New York is coming back soon. I mean, it's it's really hard to tell. That's sort of like the million dollar question. Is it gonna come back in a few months by by summer? Is it going to be better? Or is, right. is it going to take years? Because the thing is, New York is, has has died in a lot of ways. Um, there are so many restaurants, some of my favorite restaurants that are gone. You know, they they there's so many restaurants that are gone, businesses that are gone. I was walking to Bryant Park the other day, and on both sides of the streets, there was nothing. You know what I mean? Every single shop, everything uh, was closed or for lease, or you know they had paper in the in the windows, or they were boarded up because of all the protests. I remember in summer, I would I would go on runs, like I would do a morning run. And I, I'm in the financial district, which is the, you know, lower Manhattan. And I would run mm-hmm. up to like Soho, you know, that area, like Lower East Side kind of thing. And I would see like the destroyed uh, luxury stores and, you know, Lululemon being, you know, had was a mess. And all of these stores that was boarded up and like graffiti everywhere and, it was really heartbreaking, honestly, um, to see your city like that. It's just, it hurts, especially when it's New York. You know what I mean? Like, it's New right. York. Like, how can this right. happen to this city? 
if any if any city is going to come back, it's New York. I have no doubt that it will be fine. She'll be good. But it's a matter of when. And quite honestly, right now, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to come back because so many um, of, you know, so many people have left New York at this point and have gone to places like Texas, uh, Florida, I think Arizona. Um, a lot of those people have just like moved Oh, Connecticut. For some reason, I feel like a lot of people have gone to Connecticut or maybe those, those are just some of my people, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> a lot of them have moved out, you know, they, they're gone or like my apartment building. I had a lot of, you know, people that were, I live in a nice apartment building, but they were from Europe. So, you know, half the building is empty. It's just, and still like, they're still empty. And it, that's sort of like, like I said, the million dollar question, when is it going to come back? I have no doubt that it will come back, but I have a few, I have a feeling that it's going to be a few years for all of those restaurants and businesses to to rebuild because there's been such uh, it, New York was just hit so hard. It was just really, really hit. So uh, I think it's going to take a while for it to really rebuild. But there are more people. There are actually people on the roads, which is really cool. Um, you know, people on the road, the people, you know, I think there's some tourists coming back. So, you know, like the the cars and the people are there, which is exciting. It's just like businesses and restaurants don't seem to to be fully there anymore. Yeah. You know what, if I agree with you, though, I th- if you look at history, there's been lots of bad things that have happened. And eventually things do come back and get better. Absolutely. But you're right. It's a matter of time. It's just right. a matter of time. But the vibrancy in New York will be back at some point. And, yeah. and people are resilient. They really are. And New York um, is really resilient. And the, the yeah. New Yorkers are so resilient. Like the whole, uh, you know, lockdown we had like New York strong, you know what I mean? There were banners everywhere. Like New Yorkers were supporting other New Yorkers. Like we, you know, we may be tough people, but we'll give you the shirt off our backs. You know what I mean? It's like, it's such a beautiful city with so many wonderful people that I have no doubt that it'll come back and it'll, you know, be 20 times as good. I bet, you know, but in the meantime, she's she's still struggling a little bit. (laughs) Right. Listen, we're, we're at the end of the show, Pavlina. I appreciate so much you sharing your story. I I really think it's going to be inspirational for the listeners and uh, we'll be continuing to watch you flourish and grow. Thank you so much. I love talking to you and I think this has been a great conversation. Great. That is it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Stay tuned next week for my interview with the former senior advisor and deputy chief of staff for the Department of Homeland Security. It's going to be a great interview. Have a great week, everyone, and continue to stay safe. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Now, the Women to Watch, nonprofit watch. Good evening, Women to Watch listeners. I'm Dr. Nakia Owens, Managing Director of Financial Empowerment at the United Way of Greater Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. Given the significant financial challenges many individuals have faced as a result of the COVID pandemic, I wanted to bring to your attention the importance of addressing financial matters and challenges head on as opposed to allowing it to manifest into something that could be much more harmful later in the future. For example, you know, Philadelphia, there are approximately 91,000 cases 
that are heard and that go into the civil courts. Those cases being credit card, bank debt collectors, it could be evictions and and many other things. And of the 91,000 cases that typically go through those civil courts, 97.6% of the time plaintiffs win, oftentimes leading to a judgment against the defendant. I wanted to make you aware that it's really important to um, address your financial matters when they arise and be on the lookout and mindful of any kinds of court proceedings that may be involved in terms of trying to collect that debt. Stay on top of those financial issues or challenges that you're facing. If you need support, please reach out to United Ways partner, Clarify, who can assist you with those financial challenges and matters and looking at different options in terms of addressing them. If you are facing an eviction, you have the right to counsel as a recent passing of legislation within the city of Philadelphia. So please take advantage of that because most times the eviction will be basically go in the favor of the plaintiff because most of the times they have um, legal counsel. And until next time, I'm Dr. Owens, your nonprofit watch. Now, Women on the Fly. Hi, Sue Rocco here with Pavlina Asta for our Women on the Fly segment. Pavlina, tell me, how do you start your day? Oh my gosh, okay. I start my day with stretching, tall glass of water, and some meditation. That's usually that's usually the morning. <laughs> what is your mantra for stressful moments? Oh, um, everything's going to be okay and it's going to work out. Are you a planner or more spontaneous? Oh my gosh, kind of both, but mostly a planner. I like to color code. I'm a little OCD, definitely more of a planner. Where are you typically when inspiration strikes? Uh, Right before I go to bed. (laughs) Right before I go to bed or right when I wake up, um, that's usually when something clicks for me. Or in the gym when I'm running. There you go. How about a place you've traveled to you'd like to go back? Paris. How do you unwind? Ooh, yoga, reading, and family time. That's usually that's usually it. Do you have your own definition of feminism? Oh, uh, just equality, just being treated equally, just fully, um, full equality. You know, in in every sense of the word. What are three words that describe you? Happy, excited, ambitious. Oh, oh, here we go. A book you'd recommend to our listeners. 20 Things Every Motivated, 20 Something Should Know. (laughs) Bye, Pavlina. Get on Instagram, pavlinadasa.com. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) And the last question, how do you end your day? Ooh, um, best way to end the day is reading, going on a run, you know, lifting some weights at the gym. And uh, going to bed early. Honestly, I love going to bed early. (laughs) Nine o'clock, let's go to bed. Great tip. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thanks, Pavlina. Coming up next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. I want to talk to you today about how to disagree with someone respectively, because this is an interesting time to learn how to disagree, but still be inclusive where you're not just disagreeing. A trusting relationship is when you can go to that difficult conversation and be curious. Many times the emotions that are rising when disagreeing are not what the person's saying, but they're how you're interpreting that comment. And this is what taints the relationship. So first, it's helpful to reflect on your own bias in the situation 
You need to understand what you believe and make sure you like what you believe and then understand that others have a right to their choice. And then ask yourself, why is it so difficult for you to hear others' opinions about this topic? Sure, you can feel mad or angry or upset, but that is your experience. You need to try to understand what they're experiencing. And that's when you can hold that space for that person and start to be more inclusive of their experience. You see, disagreeing is not an all or nothing thing. There isn't one unique truth. Disagreements happen often in the workplace, especially when someone calls you out. And this gray area is hard to navigate if you haven't taken the time to understand why you're triggered by this disagreement. It's an art to learn how to disagree and have have respect for someone that you disagree with. It takes reflection and understanding. And most importantly, it takes holding space of curiosity so you can build trust with that person. Right now, I encourage everyone to create a way to disagree with integrity. And it starts with understanding your own unique bias and filter first. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.